we have seen the emergence of what I call modern Internet of Things. It is rich in data. It can bring in location. It's really the connectivity piece and the data aggregation piece that is usually missing in the infrastructure right now in the market. If you have a large farm, you know, the wireless connectivity is not going to carry out. This is the Industrial IoT Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Network looks stable. Let's connect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the IoT Podcast show brought to you by MarketScale. Per usual, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And it's great to be behind the mic. It's great to be bringing you some more IoT content. Uh, you know, this time around, we have a very different kind of theme, a very holistic theme, and it's the theme of salvation. <laughs> it sounds dramatic, and I promise it's not as dramatic as it sounds. And I'm not talking about Terminator salvation either. Not a very good movie. This isn't a movie review channel, but I might have to create a whole other episode just to dig into that atrocity of a sequel. Uh, though I guess you could say Terminator is a great example of some pretty powerful interconnected devices, so you know maybe there is a link here. I don't know. We'll see. Next episode, Terminator review, I, <laughs> linking it with the IoT world, we'll see. But this theme of salvation, it's more of a literal sense of saving industries, saving lives, and that's what IoT is capable of today, and it's what innovators are looking to accomplish with this technology. So for our varied features today, we're getting a look into how the IoT industry abroad, specifically in India, saved itself from the doom of weary customers and grew into the innovative force it is today. We'll hear from Manish Agarwal, co-founder of Exelta Systems, on that one. And I'm sure you've heard about the bees. They're disappearing, and a world without bees is not one we want to live in. Surprisingly, IoT may be a solution for saving them, and we get great insight from OSB hives on that topic. We also hear about how IoT is saving human lives, specifically the lives of the elderly. Where elder care suffers the most, IoT is stepping in with the solutions, turning homes into smart homes, and smart homes into independent, safe, and functional havens for senior citizens. We had MarketScale host Shelby Skurhawk explore that subject, so it's a loaded episode. Let's dig in. So to explore our content for today's episode, let's start small and end big. How much smaller can you get than a tiny bee? That's the topic for our first feature. When putting together the show, I came across an article called How IoT Can Save the Bees. It was written by a guest writer on IoT for All, and it laid out some troubling statistics on bee colony loss due to harsh winters, diseases, and pesticides. It's more important than ever to be saving the little bugs that account for more than 30% of our global food. It's no joke. The article references some companies that are utilizing IoT devices to save the bees, including OSB Hives. It's a company whose main product is a solar-powered box that monitors and relays important hive data, including health, humidity, and temperature. To what extent can data science step in for the bees? And is the industry ready for this kind of technology to lend a helping hand? And here to give us a little more insight on the article and a bit about how IoT is saving the bees with some first-hand information, we've got Javier Andres. He is the lead data scientist for OS Beehives. Javier, great to have you on. How are you doing today? 
Hi, Daniel. I'm great. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, when I found this article, we actually referenced it for a different podcast um, just for our news minutes. And stumbling upon it, I just loved the concept of IoT saving the bees. And I really wanted to get a little more information about OS beehives first. Why, you know, when wanting to enter this IoT space, there's so many applications for how you can utilize machine learning and utilize interconnected devices to create change. Why did you want to focus on saving the bees? You know, why was that the mission of OSB Hives and the OSB Hives team? Uh, so that's a, a great question. Uh, on me personally, I have a background on uh, biometrics. Oh, okay. So I did research there for a couple of years. Uh, so in an academic setting. Um, so I am, you know, used to measuring living things, and I find them more interesting than uh, measuring, I guess, industrial, uh, you know, engines and right. dead things. I think measuring uh, and studying living things has, you know, a lot of untapped potential in it. Uh, so that's what particularly attracted me to the to the project. Uh, these guys, even before I, I joined, uh, they had been going already for for a few years, uh, doing uh, open source uh, hives that you could uh, CNC CNC uh, mill out of out of uh, wood, basically. And then uh, when I joined, and some uh, you know uh, more technical people, an uh, electrical engineer. Uh, a backend engineer joined. Uh, we started going into the hey, let's make let's make a sensor for for these bees. Well, I love that because I mean, obviously, the issue of saving the bees is not one to ignore, and I think it has reached sort of a a pop culture standard almost right now, where people love to talk about hey, the bees are disappearing. We need to save the bees, but on a really serious note, I mean, bees in our ecosystem are a fundamental building block of a lot of life that we may not actually correlate with the bees. So how is OSB Hives helping actually solve this issue? What, uh, what was the direction that you took and how are you using IoT to make it happen? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so the way we, uh, I guess, establish our mission is uh, using technology to help uh, the beekeeping industry uh, and the, the bees uh, thrive, uh, particularly in, in, develop, uh, in developed markets, right? Because the, uh, many people argue that the, you know, the number of, of beehives and of bees uh, globally is rising. But the, the problem is that, uh, you know, there's been a shift uh, in the distribution from uh, developed markets to developing markets, because obviously the, the labor is cheaper. Uh, you know, you can hire more people to take care of the bees and the honey they produce uh, is, is also a lot cheaper. So it is very difficult for, uh, for beekeepers in the US, in Europe to, to compete. Um, so the, the problem we see is that uh, while technology has, you know, boosted productivity across uh, almost every industry you can imagine, this has not happened uh, with beekeeping. So I think the, these guys need uh, need technology, need to to work with apps, need to work with sensors, uh, to make I guess uh, data informed decisions that can uh, improve their business, and that's going to give them the ads uh, to compete with uh, with cheaper labor, um, and to you know be able to to thrive in a in a developed market. Well, I feel like beekeeping is such a niche industry um, that I'm sure the people that operate it every day 
must feel, you know, a kind of tried and true methodology to what they do. And to a degree, you know, maybe there isn't an urgency to change. But at the same time, I think there is also uh, an urgency to adapt because, according to this article, bees account for nearly 30% of our food um we don't not that we actually eat them but they you know them being in the ecosystem helps create about 30 percent of our food and colony collapse has been pretty dramatic over the last few years especially winter losses were pretty brutal in 2016 they were at nearly 43 percent which is huge i mean that's that's almost half of all bee production just completely being wiped out so having technology step in help solve the issue is paramount. Um, how do you see the industry adapting to technology? Is, uh, you know, are the people that are operating a, um, a bee farm very open to something like OS beehives, or does it take some convincing and does it take, a, you know, some, some examples of actual benefits for them to want to implement it to their process? So in that sense, I do think it's going to to take a great deal of convincing, right? This this is an industry, I guess, that it's very entrenched uh, in its way of doing things. So it's not going to be the the easiest uh, customer to sell to, uh, for sure, but I think it can be doable. And and I think, as you say, um, we need to establish the the proof uh, and the case studies that, you know, using these these tools can really help uh, boost your your business performance. And and I, I think there's a a quite easy uh, case to be made for that. Uh, so yeah, and, and in terms of the, the, I guess, the size of the market, uh, we estimate uh, globally it's eight to twelve uh, billion dollars annually, which is not super super big in today's right. terms, but maybe it's it's bigger than uh, some people expect. And then again, as you mentioned, it has a you know a super big impact in in the whole uh, food production chain. Yes, so I guess in terms of uh, selling to these people, you know. Uh, we are a number of, of startups uh, racing uh, to these goals, these uh, article mentions. Uh, when the data starts, uh, you know, showing up uh, with case studies with, you know, actual uh, honey producers and right. pollinators, showing that this really improves uh, survivability rates and improves productivity, then uh, I think, uh, you know, the case is going to, to become uh, a lot easier. Uh, for now, OSB Hives is selling more to the to the harvest, I guess the, the backyard beekeeper market, uh, that's the way we call it. Uh, while we are, you know, starting to do these case studies uh, and these projects with with the bigger commercial customers, I I love that the market has both the the hobbyists and the large enterprise level um, customers. It definitely makes for a different conversation. I think convincing your backyard beehive owner to implement something like this than an operation that is producing you know, tons of honey a year. Um, but, you know, I, I think it is important to implement this technology, especially with the statistics that we are seeing of declining bee populations. What have you seen as sort of a timeline for implementing technology like this and really helping save the bees? Uh, I guess not to be dramatic, but how much time do we have to really try and get these solutions in place, utilize our resources, and get on top of some of this uh, colony collapse that we're seeing so consistently, as well as making sure we can feed a global population that could be almost to the point of 10 billion people by 2050? 
Right. So, uh, you know, in terms of keeping the industry alive, uh, I would say it, it's in a, you know, with the everything at, at its all time highs, uh, I would say that when the next recession or if the next recession comes, uh, this industry is going to, to get hit uh, probably pretty hard because these guys are already making very little money uh, as it is. Um, yeah, I, I do not. Uh, I do not see see them, you know, overcoming uh, the next recession. So uh, hopefully we have, uh, you know, uh, a few years before that happens, at least. In terms of uh, products coming to market, I think uh, 2019 is going to be the, you know, the, the big year for the introduction of, of solutions uh, at the commercial level. We're definitely going to have something. Uh, I cannot uh, speak much of it uh, yet. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think 2019 is going to be the year in which these things start uh, being introduced to the market. Well, that that's really exciting that there's still so much potential, but at the same time, yeah, I think getting this technology to that commercial level could keep them not recession-proof, but at least recession-insulated. And that's important for global food production, for um, you know, keeping bee populations where they need to be. It's uh, it's pretty incredible how much of an impact bees really have on our everyday life. So it's great to see passionate people take technology like this to the next level and find solutions, especially with IoT, that can solve such a large-scale issue. So thanks again, Javier, for coming on the podcast, giving us your insight and telling us a bit more about OSB hives. I'll be sure to link to it in our post. And people, if you are out there and you've got a backyard beehive, well, you should definitely check out OSB hives. They can probably increase production for you. Thanks again, Javier. Thank you. Have a great day. Our next feature goes up in scale a bit. Instead of insect life, we're looking at saving human life. Specifically, we're looking at how technology like wearables, home automation, and other IoT solutions are simplifying and revolutionizing elder care. MarketScale host Shelby Skirhawk gives us a great look into the state of elder care, getting more context from Barbara McVicker, an elder care expert and author of Stuck in the Middle, Shared Stories and Tips on Caring for Mom and Dad. Barbara herself cared for her parents for 10 years while raising two children, eventually quitting her job to care for her parents full-time. Her insights are on point. Shelby, take it away. Alexa, help me take care of my mom. It's not quite that easy, but the Internet of Things, including Internet-connected devices, is helping making elder care easier for senior citizens themselves and their caregivers. Aging in place is a practical application of that, particularly among baby boomers who want to live in their own home longer instead of moving to a senior living facility or moving in with their children. The nation's aging population are retrofitting their homes to make them safer and easier to maneuver. There's hardware, such as grab bars and toilet rails to help prevent falls. And there's software, if you will, that runs the smart devices, making home life easier. The same tech that millennials and Gen X are using to automate their homes is also helping senior citizens achieve a better quality of life. Take your doorbell, for example. Smart doorbells like Ring and Nest Home send an alert to your smartphone when motion is detected or someone rings the doorbell. Some even show you a live video so you can see who is there without having to walk to the door. 
That's a huge help for elderly whose mobility is challenged, says elder care expert Barbara McVicker. Barbara is a national speaker and author of Stuck in the Middle, Shared Stories and Tips on Caring for Mom and Dad. So, Barbara, what are the main challenges that senior citizens face when they're trying to age in place? They're manyfold. Part of them are financial, part of them are physical, safety. A new thing that everybody's talking about that is as uh, as chronic as other kinds of problems is isolation. And that as we age in place, we don't have the same interaction with people. Falls, mobility, all those are problems that we have to be careful of. The great thing and that you were talking about is the fact now with all the technology, it is possible to remotely monitor most of the activities of the elderly. There's wearable blood glucose and uh, high blood pressure. It used to be that only a nanny cam was available and you had to go back and look at your computer to see if mom was uh, on the floor or not. And now these things are for the moment, monitoring. So it's possible for both medical professionals, the adult child caregiver, to be able to almost constantly know what's going on with mom and dad. So what kind of range are we talking about when we discuss smart home and other technology that's making elder care easier? Um, There are smart thermometers now, home security cameras, things that completely monitor all the time. The things like the smart thermostat or pill dispensers now that remind people and by lights blinking. There's automatic doors now for people that are challenged that way. Smart watches, appliance monitoring, wandering, GPS, leaving the home. There's everything from a Fitbit to Echo. I mean, there's all these new things that that's going to keep changing drastically because this is a market and there is the tsunami of people aging. I think the problem that we might have to face is the fact that there will be those people that can afford to do these things and then those people that can't. And I think the other problem that we might need to face is just the privacy, whether it's echo or the fact that now we have all this video going on and all these um, statistics out there now on what's happening with mom. So that may be one of the challenges going forward. That's a great point. Transparently, I I am dealing with a little bit of this right now. I mean, my, my mother, who's in her 70s, is caring for my grandmother, who's in her 90s. My grandmother lives with my mother. And for our own home, I mean, we've got cameras all over the place. Now, my thought was, well, why don't I install some over there? And you're right. I was like, gosh, I don't know if she's going to want that. So that does bring up the issue of privacy. Definitely. But what what all this and now going forward with augmented intelligence, I mean, who knows what's going to be on the horizon of that being able to help keep mom and dad safe. But how intrusive do we be with so many adult children caregivers being long distance? You almost need that kind of boots on the ground that it's now technology that can give you real-time feedback in terms of mom and dad. Uh, My son is uh, with startups in uh, California, and he said one of the startups he's working on right now is a toilet that um, processes the things in the toilet to give feedback as to what's going on with mom and dad. So who knows what's ahead? I'm curious, what are the most popular smart home features that you are seeing? There's there's lots out there, but what are some of the essentials to have in a home? 
For lots of people, it has become uh, the portal or the echo where there's constant interaction available. As I said, it helps with isolation. It helps with the fact that long distance, you can see actually see and hear mom's voice and face and know how she's doing. And the fact that, you know, mom, since it's only voice activated, can be have other kinds of disabilities, but still be able to interact. Um, lots of people are very excited, of course, about Ring and some of the other safety cameras, etc., that let the person in the house be able to see who's at the door if somebody's coming to the door. Um, one of the things that uh, I have found as I'm speaking across the country is how frenetic adult children caregivers has become about scams. So not only is it somebody coming to the door, but one of the things that we're also going to have to look to in the future is how to have internet and phone scams being able to be monitored. And the fact that most of these things now can be activated um, by voice is just so helpful. Um, smartwatches, Nest, um, as I said, some of the GPS now that they're able to put on, particularly Alzheimer's patients, but for anybody to see where they are and are they wandering, um, are they safe. Sensors are now available in floors and carpeting. Um, that has become big because it does show is somebody's gait is, have they fallen? Um, uh, nanny cams. Uh, I think the other thing that um, we've kind of overlooked but is very important is that we always want to keep um, them engaged in terms of lifelong learning. And that's really a great thing with the internet and Echo and some of the others. You know, turn on PBS for me. Uh, play a podcast from TED uh, Talks. So I think that lifelong learning is important to keep people's mental activity. The other part of um, growing older is I think to feel productive. And if we can find ways to make certain that as they're aging, they're also able to think that they are contributing something. So these are some of the things that I'm looking forward to in the future. One thing that a lot of caregivers feel though, and, and what is it about caregiving and aging in place that feels so overwhelming? I mean, there's terminology and there's gadgets and all of these things that most of us have never really heard of until we're thrust into that role. So how is technology going to make things just easier for, for the elderly themselves and their caregivers that are finding this whole world of aging in place very foreign to them? Of course, my main mission um, in my books and everything else is that we need to do this sooner than later. We wait until there's a crisis and then think, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? So it's everything, you know, from the financial papers to making certain you're part of the HIPAA to how do we augment whatever is going on in the house, retrofitting it, getting the technology in. And we wait way too long. We ought to be thinking about it and researching it ahead of time. So the great thing about this, and I think it's, you know, whether it's, Uber or Lyft or grocery delivery or all this technology that you and I have been talking about really are going to make it easier for both the long distance caregiver and take some stress off of that person. But also I think mom and dad are going to feel more secure and maybe 
um, stay more active because they know that they're constantly being monitored and that if something happens to them that instantaneously they're going to get help. I think they won't feel as isolated. I think they will, um, like I say, maybe definitely more engaged, but maybe more ready to keep moving and doing because if they need help, it's readily available. For MarketScale Healthcare, I'm Shelby Skirhawk. Thanks again, Shelby, for that great insight on how IoT is revolutionizing elder care. We've got one more feature for our IoT podcast, but before that, let's get a look at your local and national headlines in the B2B world of IoT. These are your IoT News Minutes brought to you by MarketScale. Security is an always present concern with IoT protocols, and a study published last week by Trend Micro has given even greater validity to these concerns. The study found that two popular machine-to-machine communication protocols are insecure by design. These protocols, known as Message Queuing Telemetry Transport, or MQTT, and Constrained Application Protocol, or COAP, are used in data communication for smart city and factory networks. According to Forbes, hundreds of thousands of hosts using these protocols are vulnerable due to their public-facing IPs. In only four months, Trend Micro found more than 200 million MQTT messages and more than 19 million co-op messages have been leaked by exposed brokers and servers. MQTT, which is more popular than co-op, is used by devices like cameras and light bulbs to publish data. Because they weren't designed with security in mind, these protocols open up smart cities and factories to security breaches. Trend Micro says manufacturing processes and email addresses can be uncovered using these protocol weaknesses. Cities could even experience blackouts if hackers program smart light bulbs to surge. Experts like Matt Lewis, research director at NCC Group, recommend cities have action plans in place to prevent security breaches. And now for some good IoT news, A recent study by satellite communication service provider Inmarsat found industrial IoT technologies can help the agricultural sector reduce its environmental footprint. According to Farm Futures, the study found that industrial IoT technology in agriculture is used most to monitor environmental conditions like pollutant emissions, soil quality, and air contamination. The technology is also used to improve resource efficiency. Two-thirds of respondents who fully use or are trying industrial IoT solutions said they are achieving environmental sustainability improvements. IoT for All writes that industrial IoT solutions are most famously used in agriculture to achieve precision farming, or farming designed to be as efficient and controlled as possible. Examples include smarter irrigation systems and increasing the productivity of fertilizer while decreasing the use of it. And for another good piece of IoT news, the IT industry saw a great number of new jobs in 2018, with many of them being due to a demand for IoT professionals. According to a recent report from consulting firm Gianco Associates, about 76,500 new IT jobs were created between January and November 2018. The report said 2018 saw the highest rate of IT job growth in three years. Tech Republic reports IoT, robotics, social networking, SEO, and identity management were fields that saw a great number of new positions this year. The report says CIOs in the IT industry are struggling with staff retention for the first time in years due to the competitive job market. Janco Associates CEO M. Victor Janulitis said many companies are budgeting for compensation increases in 2019 in order to retain their staff. New jobs in IoT will continue to grow as the industry does. Research from Gartner predicts 20.4 billion connected things will be in use by 2020, while only about 6.4 billion were in use in 2016. I'm Sam Mosier, and these have been your Market Scale IoT Minutes. 
Thanks again, MarketScale host Sam Mosier, for those news minutes. All right, it's time for our last feature. This one was born of a LinkedIn connection, as many of our guests are. And when I came across our guest for this segment, I knew he'd have a commanding view of the state of IoT on a global scale. Manish Agarwal is the CEO and co-founder of Exelta, an Indian-based company providing machine learning-enabled solutions and empowering businesses to make real-time critical business decisions. Manish himself has spent 20-plus years in a variety of industries like manufacturing, human capital management, and healthcare, to name a few, in all of which he saw a potential for overhauls in technology. He explores where IoT technology has grown in the last few years and how it saved the industry. Giving a global perspective, Manish speaks on machine vision as the future of IoT tech and why enterprise-level customers are more willing to take big risks with interconnected devices. All right, so again, we're joined by Manish Agarwal. He's the co-founder of Exelta Systems. Manish, great to have you on. I know the time difference is pretty stark right now. It is 7 a.m. when we're recording this central time, and it's 6.30 p.m. your time, so you already got your Monday out of the way. (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel, and uh, looking forward to this conversation today. Definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to get your international perspective on how IIoT growth has really happened over the last few years, what has spurred that growth, and really, what are some of those big players in industrial IoT right now, technology-wise and application-wise? So, Manish, tell me a little bit about your entrance into the space. I know that you began about five years ago and what you saw wasn't the most promising. It was difficult for a new, successful IoT solution provider to just enter the space and succeed, right? Tell me a bit about that time period and what you think some of the main inhibitors on the market were uh, when you first jumped in. Absolutely, Daniel. So when we decided to make a jump into IoT as a space, there was a lot of buzz around it though it wasn't uh, as popular at that point in time. Uh, Though we could envision that this is going to be a a path-breaking technology which is going to influence uh, a lot of uh, different spaces. Being a mechanical engineer, always fascinated with uh, the physical world, but having spent a lot of time in the virtual space in the software IT side, uh, there was always an inclination to get into this space. Uh, The challenge that we often faced is that people were not willing to, and then still there's a lot of challenge around that, uh, put significant investments into bringing this technology into this space. So a lot of time when we talked to the customers, they said, okay, fair enough, this looks interesting, but uh, can you prove it to us? Can you do a proof of concept around it and then give it to us? Uh, so what it meant was that uh, over the last five years, we ended up doing almost 100 proof of concepts for different industries and markets. And a lot of those proof of concepts or POCs were free of cost. Uh, at the end of it, we realized, at least uh, I would say a couple, uh, till a couple of years back, it is uh, that yes, uh, there are no or there should not be any free lunches. And then we started asking for money for doing even simple POCs because unless until you get people to pay, even if it's a small amount, the seriousness into 
doing something and then taking it formal is doesn't happen well it's interesting that people now are more willing to take IoT you know into their businesses because i mean i think on a consumer level we see IoT devices really hitting a stride you know smart homes are the future and the now uh, people are integrating everything into one network in their home. And so I think they want to see that same power in their business. And I know you mentioned that people are a little more willing because they just got, kind of got over the fear of their security, a fear of losing their data. Though, you know, I, I don't know if there have been that many changes when, you know, between when IoT first started to really see its strides about five, four years ago to now, you know, what changes in technology have you actually seen that have encouraged more B2B customers to feel more secure about their data or, or feel more secure about the security side of things? Yeah, uh, a brilliant point, Daniel, because uh, uh, security is, is the, when it comes to enterprises and especially the manufacturing side, a big concern. They don't want their data even to kind of move out of uh, their four walls. So that's that's remains the concern. Though from a security perspective, we are seeing that uh, the entire end-to-end -end encryption, the entire uh, you know the protocols, the uh, the ecosystem, if you call it, has evolved. Uh, there's a lot of standardization led by a number of consortiums, which has happened. And uh, also, I would say that the maturity of different pieces that go into the IoT ecosystem, right from the sensors to wireless protocols to gateway devices, uh, cloud communication technologies, as well as an ability to store and process data securely on the cloud has evolved significantly. So uh, all that put together, uh, we're seeing a good traction. What would you say are some of the biggest enterprise-level risks that you're seeing companies take with IoT now uh, that you weren't seeing five, even three years ago? I, I would kind of categorize uh, adoption of uh, IoT or IIoT in two, as, uh, two, two, two angles or two dimensions. One is the technology part of it, uh, selecting the right technology, the, the entire scheme of various different, very disparate uh, hardware pieces which go into a manufacturing, which are closed systems and not allowing uh, you to openly take information from them has been one big challenge. But I would say the bigger challenge when it comes to large enterprises manufacturing is the change management. Uh, because you can bring in the technology, but it needs to come along with a lot of process-related changes and ability to uh, feed in the insights that we are getting from uh, these connected machines into the day-to-day -day operations. And uh, as we all know, manufacturing works on standard set of processes and practices. So those SOPs uh, kind of make the typical manufacturing professional uh, kind of hardbound. They, they don't want to deviate. And then this is uh, kind of uh, a catch-22 situation for them, wherein we want them to change processes, adopt to that, while they've learned and trained to not let any deviations come into those processes. 
so uh, to summarize doing the change management getting it as part of uh, uh, the 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 day to day life of a manufacturing pro- uh, professional is is the toughest one yeah it's interesting that iot sort of in a sense though it is going to bring benefits to businesses once they do have all their machinery on that network and they're able to localize and create uniformity out of all their data to a degree you know implementing it the first time around does come with its hard set of challenges because you are changing up that tried and true process you are sort of shifting some of the standards and the best practices that help make manufacturing so efficient so for a while there's probably some road bumps and then you start to see the benefits a little later down the road what would you say is an example of a large-scale enterprise iot solution you've worked on that you know was difficult to implement at first but is really representative of maybe where some of the best value is in b2b iot okay so one of our uh, largest implementations uh, for b2b iot has been not in the manufacturing space but in retail space we are big time into retail analytics wherein we use machine vision video analytics and some aspects of uh, artificial intelligence to generate uh, interesting actionable insights for uh, retailers about their customers uh, their uh, profile of those customers uh, their heat maps and and uh, loyalty programs are being run using facial recognition so one of our customers is into large sleep products uh, so so they have about 3500 odd stores all across india and we are right now in the process of rolling this out uh, across all of these stores so to share experience of product look uh, especially if you look from a india perspective it is that uh, i guess uh, the biggest roadblock in india is is about the price sensitiveness of the customers so the kind of uh, price targets that were given to us when we went about uh, uh building a, a proof of concept for this uh, was uh, way too low and and uh, there was no way we could have convinced them to bump up the prices and and uh, that's where the innovation the indian jobs they call it in play and and we had to do significant uh, kind of uh, tweaking and innovation in order to meet those price targets but uh, once we were able to prove those results it took us about uh, almost i would say 9 months to get there uh, the things uh, emerged and and uh, uh, helped us really scale up because not only with this customer the kind of price targets and the results we were able to achieve with this we are now able to not only tackle or Uh, provide similar solutions to other retailers but also we are able to reach out to the international market and and uh, uh, provide this uh, same solution to them at a much lesser cost than what uh, typically uh, any other of our com- competitors would be doing and is that a trend that you're seeing only in india or is uh, is this a trend that you're seeing internationally uh, in the states as well i would say that the acceptance or the realization that vision or 
computer vision or machine vision is one of the richest sources of uh, uh, intelligence and information about the environment because iot is about monitoring controlling the environment so given the fact that vision is the most powerful sensor uh, the industry and the solution providers are fast waking up to the fact and there's a lot of innovation happening wherein the traditional sensors are being replaced by videos and uh, analyzing digitizing them and generating uh, pretty rich insights about the environment and and being able to uh, manage that and and uh, optimize processes and systems effectively love that love that well it's it's pretty incredible to see that IoT especially in that enterprise world has uh has seen such a shift from being, you know, yes, that emerging technology that has value, but there's a lot of skepticism around it to really being able to see, okay, now it is, it's reaching such a point of ubiquity that you can see effects of uh, improved technology like machine vision, you know, having tangible benefits instead of just, you know, hypothesizing about whether or not it's going to do anything. So it's definitely an exciting future for industrial IoT, especially in the B2B space. And Manish, I'd love to thank you for coming on the podcast and giving us your international insights on basically the state of enterprise-level IoT solutions and uh, some of your personal experiences with that. Again, thank you for coming on. It was my pleasure entirely, Daniel, and and thanks a lot for uh, your time as well. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode of the Market Scale IoT Podcast Show. Thanks again for listening. I love when themes like this come together with real narrative growth. You know, we went small, we ended big, and I'm really still so surprised by the small story of today's podcast, which is the bees. I mean, knowing that IoT is stepping in, coming together with the world of beekeeping is pretty incredible. And it's just cool to see IoT and bees come together. Um, I think I'm going to start calling it IOBs from now on. Maybe, maybe that's a new company name. Who knows? Keep an eye out. Might need angel investors ASAP. Um, I can definitely see that being the next big thing in the IoT bee world. <laughs> IOB world, right? All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. <laughs>